Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Today, I'll be reading Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and, bro- and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left their boats and their father and followed him. I just read Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22. Good morning, great church. It's good to see all of you here today and a privilege to be able to worship God with you. And those uh, that have not yet identified with us as members and decided that you want to work under the oversight of our shepherds here, welcome to the great church. We're glad that you're here today. We have come together today. We have prayed together to God Our men have led us in these prayers as instructed by 1 Timothy chapter 2. We have sang songs of praise to God as the Bible teaches in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. We have partaken of the Lord's Supper. We've communed together around the Lord's table and participated spiritually in the offering of Christ's body and of his blood. And now it's time for a word from the Lord, which I hope will help us all to have a direction into this week that will lead us to be able to be faithful and fruitful disciples. As we continue in our series, Follow Me, we are talking together about the subject of discipleship. And uh, there are very few subjects that we could talk about that are more important than the subject of discipleship because discipleship is Christianity. Saved people are disciples of Jesus, and disciples of Jesus are saved people. And there is no one who is a saved person who's not a disciple, who's not called to be walking, that is living life in the footprints of Jesus. He is our Lord and our Master, our God and our Teacher, our Guide, our Director. In every way, we are called to bring our lives in submission to Him and live as He lived, to think as He thinks, to speak As he has spoken, that's what it means to follow him. Our core passage comes from Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus on the shore of the Sea of Galilee called Peter and Andrew and James and John. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. I want to talk about the subject of enlightenment. 
And as we think about enlightenment and how uh, that relates to discipleship, we first of all need to recognize, I suppose, the element, the elephant in the room of our culture. And that is the fact that when people in our culture use the word enlightenment, often they think of some Buddhist monk or something sitting there in his orange or yellow robes with his legs crossed and uh, humming Aum or something like that. And, and uh, some kind of, of Eastern thing is what a lot of people in Western culture today think about when they hear the word enlightenment. Well, let me go ahead and, and just let it out in this way. Enlightenment is in Christ. Enlightenment comes from Christ. Enlightenment is achieved through Christ and only in covenant relationship with Him. What enlightenment is, is coming to a state of better understanding. Enlightenment means that your eyes have been opened. It is illumination. It means understanding. When we say, well, I, I didn't get it at first, but then it clicked. What we're talking about, that click, is that moment of enlightenment. It's when the eyes of our minds are open to understand something. I want you to understand. I mean no harm to our friends in the East following Eastern religion. I mean no harm to Westerners that have apostatized into false religion. But there is no enlightenment in self-emptying. The aim of Buddhism is to empty yourself, to become just vacant on the inside because when you empty yourself of all your concerns about things in life, well, then you no longer worry or have trouble about things in life. That's the aim of Buddhism, folks. And I'm not saying that Buddhists have no truth at all. I'm not saying that there's nothing good about their way of life. But what I am saying is that the Buddha was a false prophet and his religion does not actually lead to enlightenment. Enlightenment, as God would have us to understand, is not self-emptying. It's not becoming a person who no longer is concerned with, with strife and trouble and pain. Enlightenment, as far as God is concerned, is being filled with the knowledge of Him. That's enlightenment. And this only comes to us through Jesus Christ. Just as Paul saw the light on the road to Damascus and the scales fell from his eyes. And he could say, after his baptism at the hands of Ananias, I was blind, but now I see. Brothers and sisters, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that's why only the followers of Jesus are in fact enlightened. And if you wish to be among the enlightened, you will only enter into that state of being through covenant relationship with Jesus. Now these terms that we've talked about today, are terms that describe the change of mind that Jesus accomplishes in every true disciple. Let it sink in. You see, becoming a Christian is having a change made within you. It, it, it begins with that change of mind. And that change of mind is, first of all, a change of kind. As, as we learn in life, right from wrong, truth from error, this from that, black from white, whatever it is that we learn... Everything that we learn is a matter of comparing and contrasting one thing with another. That's what knowledge is. That's how intelligence works. Intelligence works by saying, well, I understand what this is, and that is not this, and that is not this because it's, it's unlike this in this way, and, and that becomes, I guess, more complex, but it's not really complicated. All knowledge is based upon recognizing the distinctives between one thing and another and understanding how those things relate or how they don't relate. That's, that's what knowledge is, all right? So, but, but when we think about the differences of things, there are two ways that we measure that. There are differences of kind and differences of degree. 
male and female are both of the same kind, humankind, but we differ in degree. There are differences in the human nature that we share, and we are more alike than we are different, but those differences are nevertheless real, differences of degree. But brothers and sisters, discipleship is first of all not just a difference of degree from our friends in, in the world that don't know Christ. Discipleship is first a difference of kind. It's difference of kind. And then it is an ongoing change of degree. And I hope we'll make more sense out of that as we continue. So please follow. Listen to these scriptures. John 8 and verse 12. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He's the light, see. There's no illumination. There's no enlightenment unless you've seen the light. And Jesus doesn't just say, I'm a light, and Buddha is another, and Muhammad was another, and the Baha'u'llah was another, and so on and so forth. Jesus doesn't say that at all. He says, I am the singular light of the world. There's no illumination apart from him. And so he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Do you see that in Christ... Through faith in Christ, the line is drawn between those who know and those who know not, between those who see and those who are blind, between those who walk in the light, who understand what they're doing and why and where they're going, and the masses of humanity that walk in darkness. They don't know who they are, they don't know what they are, they don't know what they're doing, and they don't know where they're going. Does that make sense? That's what it means, and that's the line that Jesus is talking about. Colossians 1, verse 13, a passage that we're going to explore more fully, Lord willing, next Lord's Day. But Colossians 1, 13, we're told that He, that's God the Father, has delivered us, past tense, this has already been done for those who are baptized believers, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. That's the domain that all those outside of Christ are in, regardless of their religious convictions and ideas. If you're outside of Christ, you're living in the domain of darkness. You are blind. You cannot see and you do not understand. But God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. You see, to be a Christian is to have experienced the change of kind. We're a different kind of human. We're the real kind of human. We're those that have been restored to God as true sons and daughters of deity, the sons and daughters of God. Those outside of Christ have been disinherited. They are children of wrath. They are not worthy of the title son or daughter of God. And so Jesus says in John 3 and verse 19, and this is the judgment. Here it is. This is the judgment. This is the judgment of the world. This is the central fact. That is the basis of judgment day to come. He says, this is the judgment. The light, again, singular, the light has come into the world. And this is the mindset of the world. All those who are outside of Christ, all those who are not Christians, are the world, as the Bible uses this term here, the rebellious and sinful world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. If you come to the light, you will be exposed. Light illuminates. Light reveals. Light shines on what would otherwise not be apparent. Light makes truth evident. Light shows us reality. And so if I come to Jesus, I'm coming to the light. 
And if I come to Jesus as a sinful man, which is the only way any of us can come to Jesus, well, then I'm willing to be exposed. I'm saying, I renounce these things. I'm not denying what I've done. I'm not denying what I've become. I'm not denying what I am. I'm coming to you because of these things, and I wish to be healed. I wish to be cleansed. I wish to be saved and made whole. I wish to have the light of life that, Lord God, I may see where I'm going, that I may get there safely. That's what you're saying when you come to Jesus. And so you say, it's all right, Lord. I'm, ex I'm being exposed. I'm willingly allowing myself to be exposed because I renounce these things that your light shines on and exposes as sin. But there are many of those that do not wish to be healed. Those that have not yet come to Christ in the world, the majority of them aren't seeking to be healed. They're content to live in sin. And so they don't come into the light because they want to be able to continue to, to look at themselves in the mirror as they justify themselves for their wickedness. And if the light has shined on that wickedness, if you've been shown how wicked it is, if you have been illuminated to the fact that sin is terrible, well, then how are you going to look in your eyes in the mirror as a sinner and continue to live in sin? And that's what this means. People prefer not to know because they want to keep on doing what they're doing. And that is the line between those who are in the world and those who are, in fact, the disciples of Christ. And so we have the ancient and still relevant and true condemnation upon those in the world that the prophet Isaiah wrote 2,800 years ago approximately this is ancient truth that is just as relevant today as it has ever been. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. My brothers and sisters, there are different degrees of darkness that people of the world are in. Not everyone outside of Christ is as evil as their neighbor is. But the truth of the matter is that everybody outside of Christ is guilty of that to some degree or another. Let it sink in because it's true. Because the very denial of the lordship of Christ is, in fact, substituting darkness for light. Whatever else you do, if you deny the lordship of Christ over your life, you are embracing the darkness and saying, I would rather not see. And that is what it means again to be lost, to be a sinner. So it is first a change of kind. Discipleship is first of all, when we're baptized into Christ, it is a change of kind that is accomplished by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit so that we cease being people who live in the worldly frame of mind in which we strive to justify ourselves, to consider ourselves shrewd in our own eyes and justified in our own sight. We cease to do that because the light has shined upon us and we realize that we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we cease justifying ourselves. Instead, we recognize the truth and glory and righteousness of Jesus and we set our minds to seek Him. And that's what it means to be a spiritual person. And so discipleship is, first of all, that change of mind. Jesus speaks about this, in, or John the Apostle for Jesus speaks about this in 1 John chapter 2 beginning in verse 15. And he teaches us how this spiritual mind is to uh, be exemplified in our daily lives. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Notice, 
for all that is in the world. This is it. If you choose to live in darkness, if you reject or resist the lordship of Christ, if you, if you do not follow his teachings, all that you have available to you are these three things. The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride. Pride of life. And none of these things are from the Father, but from the world. And this is where these things will lead. The world is passing away along with its desires. As Jesus said, if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. But whoever does the will of God, you see, that's enlightenment. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. I want us to read together from Colossians chapter 3, which really, I think, gives us some incredible insight uh, into what it is that we're talking about as we think about the relationship between uh, enlightenment and discipleship. Colossians chapter 3, let's read together verses 1 through 11. I'm reading from the New King James Version, page 1047 in the Pew Bibles on the back of the pew in front of you. Now listen, chapter 3, verse 1 of Colossians. If then you were raised with Christ, all right? Now, none of us have yet literally been raised from the dead with Christ. Uh, we look forward to that on judgment day, on the last day, on resurrection day. Then we literally will be raised from the dead with Christ. But, but we have symbolically been raised with Christ if we are baptized believers. If, through, if by grace through faith you have been baptized, immersed into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you came up out of that water just as Romans 6 teaches, and you then symbolically have already been raised with Christ. And that teaches us a little something about what we look forward to as our ultimate hope in being followers of Jesus. So understand. So, so we could say then that Paul is saying, if you're a baptized believer, then these following truths are things you need to consider. So if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, the spiritual mind. Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. If you're a disciple of Christ, you're seeking Christ. And if Christ is seated in heaven at the right hand of God, then you are seeking heaven. And you're seeking heavenly things. You're seeking the very throne of God. You're seeking His righteous rules. You love them. You want them. You desire to obey them. The light has shined into your heart and you realize that those things are the truth, that they are right. And that's what you want your life to be characterized by. So set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, verse 2. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, second coming, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And since this is your awesome hope, your unparalleled, unmatchable, glorious future hope, the, the end result of being faithful to Jesus until the end is this glory that this passage is talking about. And since that's true, therefore, verse 5, listen, therefore put to death your members put to death your members which are on earth fornication uncleanness passion that is evil passion evil desire and covetousness which is idolatry 
Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, those of the other kind of humans, the kind that are described as the world, those who are in darkness, those are, who are in rebellion, he says. The wrath of God is coming upon them. Verse 7, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, but now, but now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, put off anger. Wrath, put off wrath. Malice, put off malice. Blasphemy, put off blasphemy. Filthy language, put it to death. Put it out of your mouth. Verse 9, do not lie to one another. Do not lie. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds, notice verse 10 now, remember what enlightenment is, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Do you see how enlightenment is right smack dab in the middle of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. The kind of change that we have experienced in coming to Christ is one in which our nationality has changed, our race has changed, our mindset about how to live life has changed, our goals have changed, our values have changed, everything has changed about the person who has embraced this change that the Holy Spirit makes in us when we're baptized into Christ. We become a new kind of person and therefore can no longer allow ourselves to live according to the mind of this world. I hope you can hear and I hope you can understand. But as I said, this enlightenment, this change that we make is second, an ongoing change of degree from ignorance to knowledge and wisdom. You see, when a faithful soul emerges dripping wet from the waters of baptism, that should be the weakest and most ignorant moment of their walk with the Lord. I know many Christians have doubted the efficacy of their baptism because 10 years later they know so much more about what baptism means and, and about everything that flows from baptism than they did when they were baptized. I'm telling you, you don't need rebaptism. That's the way things should work. That's the way things should work. Because God makes a change in us about who we are, about our nature. That's regeneration. That happens by grace through faith when we obey the gospel plan of salvation. We are regenerated, changed in our status of who we are. And then because that change has been made, we are then of our own free will seeking those things which are above. Just as we read from Colossians 3. Which means that discipleship is a school of sorts. Discipleship is an education process, an education system. It is a system by which through the Bible, God teaches us the truth. He continues to open our mind's eyes wider and wider and wider as we grow. So that if you've been a Christian for 10 years, you ought to really understand the meaning of life, the purpose of life, what matters in life, where you're going in life way better than you did 10 years ago. And if you live 10 years longer than that, again, you ought to look back on yourself 20 years ago and say, Lord God, I thank you that you have opened my eyes more than they were opened then. And this is what the Bible means when, it, when we see the word edification or building up. And this is what the Bible means when it speaks about the importance of growth. Now, I want to take us back to Matthew's account of the Great Commission. 
Because I want you to see that these two aspects of discipleship that I'm talking about are absolutely vital and central and fundamental to the meaning of the term. There's no clearer statement of uh, what, the, what the mission of the church is, of the Great Commission, than Matthew's account. There are other statements, but Matthew's is the clearest and most comprehensive. And so in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says to the disciples before he ascended into heaven, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Those are the marching orders of the church. That's what disciples do. Disciples make disciples. Right? So Jesus said, go. And then he tells us how to do it. First of all, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's an implication here, which is a necessary implication. You don't force people to be baptized. The whole of the New Testament tells us that's not the case. Baptism is an act of belief. Belief comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, verse 17. And so there's an implication that discipleship is first about teaching people how to become disciples and what it means to be disciples. And then when people embrace that, they submit to the ordinance of baptism. And then they become disciples through the watery grave of baptism. Now, after then, a disciple has been made they have obeyed the gospel. They have been baptized into Christ. Then the passage continues, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The ministry that flows from this pulpit of teaching, which is overseen by our elders and carried out by me and the other teachers and preachers in this congregation, is very much an aspect of this ongoing change that discipleship demands of us. This is edification. This is the building up of the saints. This is teaching so that all of us together may increase our understanding of what it means to be followers of Jesus. In other words, having been enlightened through the gospel, we seek to be enlightened yet more and more and more all the time as long as we live. As we continue to seek ourselves to study and learn and as we are taught by our brothers and sisters what it means to be Jesus' people, to observe all that he has commanded us. And as we continue faithfully in this process of discipleship, he is always with us. And so, brothers and sisters, here's the bottom line. Discipleship is an ongoing process of holistic education with the goal of spiritual perfection. Let's have a 30 seconds of silence. Think about that sentence. Yes, indeed, I agree with the kids. It's fantastic. <laughs> and it's challenging. And it might be a little bit scary if you have not been enlightened enough as to the role that grace plays in this process. Notice the last part of the sentence and what I've underlined. Perfection. Perfection. The goal is perfection, brothers and sisters. The goal is spiritual perfection. Are you there yet? You know you're not. I'm not either. Far from it. But perfection is the goal. And brothers and sisters, this is why the call of discipleship in Jesus Christ is the highest of all calls. If you are the person with a good and honest heart, the parable of the sower of the seed, Jesus says that's the good soil. 
The gospel falls into good and honest hearts, and they bear fruit, right? So if you've come to Jesus, then that parable says about you, you're the person with a good and honest heart. And so the good and the honest are never satisfied with anything but the greatest good and will never lie to themselves about just how far they've made it in the process of pursuing it. Does that make sense? And that realization, which is itself truth, which is itself an embrace of the truth, which is itself evidence that our eyes have been opened by Christ, that we have been illuminated, that we have been enlightened because we are seeing reality for what it is and also for what it should be, for what it ought to be, for what it ought to be. And if we look into our hearts and into our lives and we realize, well, it's not yet what it ought to be, then if we are followers of Jesus, we keep seeking greater understanding. We keep seeking greater wisdom. We keep seeking him for greater power, for greater strength to move yet forward, ever seeking that goal. But I don't want you to be afraid of the process. Jesus indeed says you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And in the end, if you will dwell with him in the heavenly world, you indeed must be perfect as he is perfect. But the words of Paul in Galatians 3 verse 3, when speaking to the folks in the region of Galatia, he said, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You see, initial enlightenment comes from the regeneration that the Holy Spirit works in us as a result of God's grace through our faith in obeying the gospel. That change of kind that God works in all those who come to Christ is the work of the Holy Spirit it's not your work, it's his work. And in the end, if you're going to be perfected, it won't be by your flesh. What that means is, my brothers and sisters, are you illuminated to this truth? What it means is that you don't have the power in your mortal frame. Not in your body, not in your mind. You do not have the power to achieve perfection going to take a miracle to accomplish that so don't fear trust have faith paul has told us philippians 1 verse 6 and i'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you he will bring it to completion at the day of jesus christ what we look forward to brothers and sisters in christ in the resurrection on resurrection day is to have the sinfulness and weakness of this flesh left in the grave, but be raised in new bodies, material bodies, real bodies, to live out our eternal life with the Lord. But these bodies will be made perfect. No longer will be this subject to the weaknesses of the flesh. No longer will our minds be torn between what's right and what's wrong. No longer will we be tempted to justify things that are abject darkness, but we will be able to live in the light of life that we have sought by faith to be able to live in, in these mortal bodies, but have always failed to do. And that's why it's good news. Because he will accomplish that in us. You won't accomplish that in yourself. That does not mean that you don't have a responsibility in the meantime to try and so we have these words in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Do your best. Right? Do your best. To present yourself to God as one approved. 
a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the light, the word of truth, because all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, teaches us what's right and what's true. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway for reproof. That light exposes what's wrong in our lives. And oh boy, do we need what's wrong in our lives exposed. We need it exposed. And if we're people walking in the light, we don't hide from the light. We want it to be exposed. As David said in the Psalms, search me and try me and see if there is any unclean way in me. David is exemplifying in that Psalm what it means to walk in the light. For correction, once God's light has shined into our lives, into our minds, and showed us something that's wrong, the Word of God teaches us how to get it right. And then anything else that might be lacking in your concept of what it means to serve God, the, the Scripture trains us for righteousness that the man of God, the person of God, the woman of God may be complete, perfect. It's the same Greek word. Equipped for every good work. It is not possible, my friends, to serve Jesus it's not possible to serve Jesus as a disciple well unless you take the Bible seriously and study it diligently. I want to ask you just for a moment to take spiritual inventory of the life that you've been living. When was the last time that you opened your Bible or your Bible app to seriously with faithful focus and devotion to read it. When was the last time? And what does that say about where you have been to this point? And if you say, well, I really don't know how long it's been, and you also don't know just how dark your mind is and your life is, you just don't know. You don't know. And if over the course of years of life, if the Lord grants it, if the Bible is not your food, your water, if it is not your rest, your sleep, if it's not more important to you than, than the necessities of physical life, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it's not a rebuke. It's teaching. It's light. I'm telling you, you will not understand life. You won't understand yourself, and you won't know where you're going. You'll get to the end of the road, the end of the journey of this life, and you'll be one of those sad saints that there have been far too many of who get to their deathbed and say, oh, I hope, I hope, I hope I've done enough. I hope I'm right with God. I hope I've got a home in heaven. But the light that comes through Scripture gives us deliverance from that if we will seek it, if we will study it. Do you study your Bible, brothers and sisters? Do you study it? Because if not, then at least in that sense, I'm telling you today by the word of God, you are not being a disciple. You're not being a disciple. You are not being Jesus' disciple. And so if this convicts you, then change right now. Don't retreat to the shadows. 
Don't try to justify yourself. Well, I would if the kids weren't so much trouble and if there weren't so many sports activities and games and all of these sorts of things that I had to deal with and there's work and there's overtime and there's school and there's so on until you die in darkness. Does that make sense? Walk in the light. Seek his word. Study it. Live it. Practical steps. It just starts with opening up the book and reading it. That's how it starts. You got to treat it as holy, brothers and sisters. You got to set aside time for it because that tells you who you are. It tells you whether you're walking in the light or in the darkness because whatever you got time for, that's what you value. That's what you're following. That's what you're seeking. If you don't have time in your life to study God's word, that says a lot about the state of your discipleship, doesn't it? You know it does. Number three, study it carefully and diligently. Seek to understand it. Don't just read through a chapter and say, well, I've done my devotional reading. I didn't understand half of it, but at least the words crossed through my mind. Yeah, that's a start. But at some point in time, you've got to stop and say, wait, I've got to understand this. It's discipleship. And then you meditate on what you're studying. And you pray for yet more understanding. My brothers and sisters, the master is calling. What will you do? This morning, if you've not yet become a disciple of Christ, there's only one way to do it. By grace, through faith, you must obey the gospel, submit to the ordinance of baptism, that your sins might be washed away, that you might be buried. The old person, the person walking in darkness will be buried with Jesus. The new man, the new woman, the disciple, the illuminated, enlightened one, raised with Jesus to walk in newness of life. If you understand you have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, you realize you're responsible for your choices in life, and you haven't yet made Jesus your Lord in baptism, today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may be too late. This morning, if you are a baptized believer that needs the prayers of this church to help you in your journey anyway, front pews are open. Come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.